Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, self-lovers. Before we dive into today's podcast episode, I want to make sure you know about my two books on self-love. If you're struggling with body image or self-acceptance, then I highly recommend you check out my first book, The Gift of Self-Love. It's a comprehensive workbook to help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to love who you are. You can get it wherever books are sold by searching for The Gift of Self-Love or go to my website, maryscupoftea.com book. Thousands of you have read and dove into The Gift of Self-Love. The reviews are just incredible. So many five-star reviews, and I'm so forever grateful that it has touched your lives in such a big way. After publishing The Gift of Self-Love and reading all your positive feedback, I noticed that many of you asked me for a tool that would help you build a daily practice of self-love into your life, which is why I decided to create a new self-love journal, 100 Days of Self-Love. It's got 100 journaling prompts that cover all areas of life, body, identity, purpose, relationships, emotions, and more. So you can think of this as a metaphorical multivitamin for self-love. You can get the journal wherever books are sold as well by searching for 100 Days of Self-Love or go to maryscupoftea.com slash journal. These two books, The Gift of Self-Love, The Workbook, And 100 Days of Self-Love, the journal, are complementary to one another, so the content does not overlap. It just depends on what you want or need at this point in your life. It's my mission to share all the self-love tools with you, so I hope that both my books and this podcast can help you do just that. Well, babe, I'm so excited for this today. It's been a long time coming. We've been married almost a month now. Well, like three weeks. Okay. Three weeks. And we've been wanting to record this to talk about wedding reflections, feelings, things going into our marriage, maybe some of the fun emotional stuff, and then the not so fun, like logistical wedding planning, budgeting things. And... I'm so excited you made time for this. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's a real treat to be here. I think you and I are fairly open with everything in our lives. And I am excited and thrilled to share our special day together with your listeners. I am also very nervous, but I am excited. Aw, I love when you admit that. <laughs> Let's start with because we also just celebrated our four year anniversary. Our wedding date. We did. Was our four year meeting anniversary. And we met, started dating, moved in together, traveled, did all of those things pretty quickly. So I would call it our four year anniversary in general. So if you could describe the past four years in one word, what would that be? Yeah, I think growth is the first thing that comes to mind. And if words had images, I would say it's kind of like the foundation of a tree. And then from growth, you have the branches. And for me specifically, I grew to love you. So I really tapped into love and I grew as a person there. My love for you continues to grow. My independence of how I process things as a person also grew because of you. So everything involved in my life, what I thought at one point was growth was just more of a stationary lifestyle kind of thing. 
And over the past four years, I look at myself, I look at you, and I look at us. And there's just so much growth. I feel the same way about us, too. That's very sweet, babe. I think my word is just like pure enjoyment because I keep telling my friends, like, there has not been a single day that we haven't laughed, like belly laughed. Every single day, we literally have a laugh a day. And I usually have a cry a day, but like a good cry. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I'm not responsible for the bad cries, just the good cries. (laughs) (laughs) But it's just been so like enjoyable, like even some of the not so fun times, like our little night hike the other day where we got lost in the desert. Right. In the dark. (laughs) Like even though that sucked at the moment, we came home and just started cracking up. (laughs) And every time you surprise me, I think that's one thing about our relationship. It's always like pleasantly surprised me, like the new things I've learned about you, the things I've learned about myself. I'm like, oh, I didn't know it could be so easy or like, oh, I didn't know it could be so fun. Like, you know, we always talk about having fun and. I give it up to you, honestly. I think it's your personality that really pulls me out of my gray or dark cloud from time to time because I'm more of an introvert, whereas you are more of an extrovert. So I know at the end of the day, I might not want to go hiking, but I know that it's going to be fun (laughs) and it's going to be an experience to say the least, right? So it's an emotional experience as well. So emotional roller coaster, I should say, with you, just because we go into something and it might not work out. But at the end of that, it's just laughter and acceptance and gratitude as well. Well, I'm wondering if you felt that way leading up to our wedding, because we spent probably exactly 10 months planning it since we got engaged. We started planning about a month after that. And I want to know, how did you feel? Let's start with like leading up to the wedding. How did you feel through that planning? We worked with Ellie, our wedding planner, and putting together all the details, inviting our family. Like, What was that like for you? Yeah. Shout out to Ellie. She made things happen that I didn't think could happen. And she's been in the co-pilot seat, let alone the pilot seat from the beginning till the end. So she did an incredible job. And honestly, deep down inside, I never saw the importance of having a wedding planner, especially if it's a smaller wedding, which we had, right? We had about 64 people or so. Yeah. But Ellie brought so much ease and I felt more at peace because she really took on a lot of the communications. Again, she is very well connected in the industry, which made things that much more easier. And having her by our side, again, just was an easy, not too easy, but an offload. Yeah, she helped for sure. One thing about Ellie is that when we first started planning, we were thinking about having like 100, 120 was kind of the number we were throwing out there, person wedding at a big venue in Scottsdale, Paradise Valley. There's lots of beautiful wedding venues, resorts, restaurants in Arizona. And I hired her. She was the first person I hired, even though everybody was kind of worried about the amount of money we were spending right off the bat with the planner. But I hired her because I started digging into some of these venues. And the big thing about a lot of them is that they will not let you have their wedding there unless you have a planner. So it started with that. And then Tell everybody like how we decided to, like, why did we decide to fuck the whole big wedding 
at a restaurant? <laughs> and then how did we transition to backyard wedding at your parents? We went and toured, what is it, four different venues. And that's only in person. We looked at dozens online. Putting the cost structure, which again is astronomical in my opinion, aside, the venues that we toured, most of them felt like a just a container, an open space with walls, right? And you have to fill that empty space. And some of them have a capacity of two, three hundred. And if you have a list of a hundred people, I mean, it just doesn't feel well. It doesn't look presentable. Because the empty space has to be filled with either like florals or bars or activities or all these things that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Exactly. And then you're adding people to the list just to kind of make up for that empty space, right? And you're looking for more florals and more decorations. And now the cost just continues to rise. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that we said, no, this is not for us. Because even though at the end of the day, we wanted to make a small wedding, over 100 people in general, I think that's a pretty big wedding. That's a big wedding. And the more people come from out of town, the more people you have to impress, the more money you're spending. And between the noise ordinance, right, that everything has to That's another thing. go indoors by 10 p.m. And then even after that, the cutoff is 1030. Right. One thing that you wanted was for people to experience an outdoor wedding in Arizona. Because of the time that we agreed to have the wedding, it was going to be a perfect evening. And for us, that was important. And again, that limited us that much more because there was a few accommodations that, or a few different venues that couldn't accommodate that space for us. You know what we never talked about, though? Remember, we wanted to have our wedding this November. Yes. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember why we bumped it up to March? It's not because we were super stoked to marry each other sooner. I mean, that too. <laughs> but <laughs> that too. <laughs> there was a very practical reason behind it, which was the cost the venue that we were looking at, they were bumping up their rates by 10%. And this is on like baseline $50,000 wedding venue rental fees and food and beverage minimums. And they were bumping that up by 10% come the fall 2023 season. So I was like, just by having our wedding earlier, we could save 10 grand easily. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to add to that, I mean, there was a lot of weddings that did not happen during the pandemic. Right. So they started rolling over into this year. So these venues saw an opportunity. And I understand that as a business, you're losing money because no one's really getting married. People are not gathering. So you have to make up for lost time, I guess you can say. Right. And through supply and demand from a business side of things, it makes sense. But from a consumer side of things, we get the short end of the stick, as they say. Yeah. And we we're also battling for the date. Luckily, we were always looking at a Thursday. So we had a little bit of flexibility there, but then it just started spiraling. So even like the smallest venue space that we were looking at, that was nice. It still had so many restrictions for us for what we calculated to be like a minimum of $80,000. Remember, that was when we cut things. Yeah. The original quote was like 105, 110. And then we were like, okay, maybe we don't need this. Maybe we don't need that. And we got it down to 82. Right, right. And we were looking at that and we're like, how on earth do you ever afford that? How do you justify it? Especially <laughs> in my culture, it's a little bit different, right? In our culture, it's like people bring gifts and those gifts are in a nice little white envelope that have your name <laughs> on them. And they're <laughs> <That's kinda good. laughs> a nice little check or some cash, right? So they really help offset a lot of that cost. And then there's other cultures that just don't. And for the new couple to go into debt, I hope not. I mean, that would be a pretty hard decision to make. It makes things that much more harder. Mm -hmm. So our transition into plan B was 
a little clunky, I think, this one we're talking about feelings before the wedding because your parents have a really beautiful backyard, but it doesn't look as big as it is, I guess. Like, we hang out there all the time, so we never thought it was possible to, like, fit 50, 60, 70 people in it. And then we brought it up, and your dad said— He was the first one to say, absolutely, just do it. I told you from the beginning. Those were his words. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but your mom— uh, Rolled her eyes, and she pretty much had the same thought. There's no way in heck that you're going to fit 50, 60 people. And why do it in the backyard? You can do the catering at a restaurant and alleviate a lot of that. But she came around. She came around very quickly. Yeah. But her first instinct was, like, just the fear of, like— bringing people into the house, coordinating all that. And also outdoor weddings and smaller weddings are very new to your culture. Absolutely. Yeah. So with mom, I think that she had a little bit of a panic attack because as you know, she's a great host, right? The hostess with the mostest. And she takes it very important or very seriously, very seriously that she has to present herself and her home as a certain stature. She's literally like a Baharian Jewish Martha Stewart. <laughs> yes, she is. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Except not shady. She's very, very transparent. She's not shady. <laughs> yeah. So in the beginning, she was very offset by it. But then she came around and she really even contributed to the wedding, right? She made the pastries and certain dishes. And again, it was not expected by any means. We just were so grateful for the fact of her opening her home to us and allowing us to have the party there because the amount of stress and moving parts that are involved. And then she's like, well, I'm going to make some of our traditional pastries as well. Yeah, it was a lot like even aside from the pastries, even just like her having people in her home coming in and out. I mean, we were originally planning to keep that front door locked and have everybody come in through the side gate, like nobody stomping in and out of the house. But Everybody and their mother quite literally were stomping in and out of that house in every single room, kids running around and everything. And I give it up to your mom. She handled it very well and compassionately, especially for somebody who's very particular about like home and inviting people in and making sure it's up to her standards. That's the biggest thing, right? It's not that we expected anything like that from her, but that she expects it so much of herself. And the whole time I just was hoping that she could find a single moment to relax, but I know it's not in her nature. Same with your dad. He was running around the whole time, too. Yeah. <laughs> dad was having a blast, as you saw. And we have the footage to show, <laughs> to prove that as well, right? And shout out to mom. Mom, we love you for everything that you continue to do. And you always open your heart and your home to us. So shout out to her. So how did it feel leading up to the wedding, say, say the week before? Like, you were working until the day before. Actually, can I tell... <laughs> Can I tell our listeners what you posted on our wedding day? <laughs> Run with it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so my sweet husband likes to flip cars. So he'll buy a really nice vehicle and then hopefully fix it up, sell it to somebody who collects certain types of automobiles. And you got this very nice I'm just going to call it a Benz. I'm not going to say what it is. But on the day of our wedding, and I only saw this until a couple days after, and I did the backwards math when it said posted three days ago, you put up a picture of your car. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just the car. <laughs> just the car. It was on our wedding date. But aside from that, you have a business, a startup. You were doing meetings. You were running around. You were setting things up in the backyard. You were helping your dad set up, buying alcohol, like attaching random things to random places, all of that you were doing the day 
before in the morning of the wedding. Yeah, even with the family members that we had fly in from out of the country, right? There was a lot of moving parts there. But I think the eye on the prize was the most important thing, right? And one of the things that I, one of the mantras I believe in is leaving your emotions at the door. Although anyone can just kind of say, okay, this is too much, I'm tapping out. There's a lot that's hanging on our heads and on our shoulders. And yes, we want to enjoy it. But at the same time, there's things that just need to be done. And it's not like I'm moving mountains. It's more of things just need to get done. What I love about us is we have very good cultural understanding. So I think that amongst our friends, it's very popular to be like, fuck everybody else. This is your day. But we went into it being not really like that. Like, yes, it was a day to celebrate our love and our marriage, but family is a big part of our love and our marriage. So even though we were playing taxi cab Uber drivers the whole week for all of those family members coming in from out of town, we set that expectation prior to. So I wasn't mad about it. You thrived, it seemed like. I mean, you love errands. I love errands. (laughs) (laughs) This guy will make 12 stops in three hours and then come home rejuvenated. I have to go to the post office once a week and I'm exhausted. It's a daily struggle between us, right? I love to step outside of the house and get things done. I feel like I've accomplished so much. (laughs) (laughs) Home Depot, I'm on it. Post office, I'm on it. (laughs) I feel the opposite. I'm like, I can't get anything done. I'm just running around. Well, I also want to take us back to, remember that conversation we had because, so we asked my best friend, what should we talk about on this podcast episode? And she's like, I really want to know what you argued about. And it took me back to the first ever like real fight. I wouldn't even call it an argument. It was kind of a fight that we had. And it was one of my favorite fights of ours because of the way it unfolded and the way it ended, which I will get into. But what it started with was I host retreats for a living. So I basically plan week-long weddings. (laughs) So there was a lot in the wedding planning process that I was kind of just like prepared for. Like I knew something would go wrong. I know somebody would cry. I know I I just kind of had an expectation of what it looks like when people gather and an expectation of what it looks like to plan an event with many people. So in all of my retreat planning, one of the books that I always come back to because it has just changed the way that I approach even just a dinner with friends, and this is a book called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker, and I've already read it twice. I picked it up originally for business, but now it's just helped me become like a better connector with friends, family, everything. And in this book, she talks about how the first step of any artful gathering, and the reason why this is important, because we've all been to many many weddings, birthday parties, celebrations, just events in general, where you go as if it's a chore, and then you walk away feeling just like tired and disconnected and annoyed that you wasted a face full of makeup. And I've been to a lot of those, and that's what I really hope not to have during retreats. I mean, there's like an art and a craft to creating like a very connecting experience. And I really wanted that for our wedding because I was like, we're bringing people together. Some of my family members are American. You know, my step-siblings are American. And then some of your family members are like from the depths of Central Asia, (laughs) you know? So it was like a lot going on. And I was like, it's very important for us to start with like a very solid foundation in the form of an intention 
for why are we actually doing this wedding? Why aren't we just eloping? Why aren't we just doing like a big trip? Why do we want a wedding? Why do we want it this size? Why do we want in this house? Like, what is that reason that we're doing this aside from like, it's just what people do? So when I brought that up to you, your response was? My eyes rolled in the back of my head. And again, (laughs) I didn't know what what question you were going to ask me. So (laughs) this is on the spot as well. So it's a great, great example where we, at the starting point, did not see eye to eye. Because in my head, I'm like, no, it's just because, right? We want to have a party and just celebrate. And you're like, no, there needs to be an intention. Why are these people coming together? Yep. And I really like wanted that. And I got emotional and you got annoyed. And I went into my room and I remember by my room, I mean our primary bedroom. I went into our bathroom. I sat in the bathtub. I started feeling so sorry for myself as one does. I'm like crying. And then you sent me a text. This is why I say it's one of our favorite fights that we've ever had because literally in a matter of minutes, as soon as I leave the room, you sent me a text and it was a link to an article titled how to set an intention for your gathering. And you said, is this what you mean? Question mark. And the fact that I walked away and you proceeded to Google just (laughs) meant a lot to me, like just that. Yeah. Again, it it come kind of full circle, right? To the moment of leaving my own emotions at the door. It's just, I want to understand. So I took some time to kind of walk through your shoes and see things from your perspective. And again, time and time again, as much as I don't want to admit it, you came out on top, you prevailed, and you were right. And I acknowledged that, I accepted it, and I contributed. I wanted to be a part of it. Well, thank you for saying that. I don't think it was like that I was right as much as it put us on the same page. And it was pretty much the only and last argument we had about anything wedding-related. Because the intention that we came up with, I don't know if you remember as clearly as I do, because it was just probably more important to me, but we said that we wanted to bridge the gap between our cultural Jewishness and make our family feel important, knowing that this would be establishing expectations for what our marriage and our family is going to look like moving forward. So what that meant is like with our children, for example, like, We want Jewish traditions and and Jewish cultural, ethnic acknowledging of events and the Sabbath and that kind of stuff. But one example is like maybe we're not super aligned with some of the religious stuff. So with our wedding, we were like, okay, we're doing this ceremony in this particular way, but we're not going to do this because this is like not for us, you know, weird. And same with like everybody that we invited. I mean, we very intentionally curated the guest list, only thinking about who's going to be important to our family moving forward. And we also in that decided to not invite friends. Right. And that was a pretty difficult decision for the both of us. But it's because our intention was focused around culture and family and the foundation for like our new family moving forward as opposed to like that original kind of wishy-washy expectation of like, we're just going to party and bring people together and just like invite who I feel like I'm supposed to because I know him, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the things that made me realize that for us having a wedding, a celebration with intention meant inviting people that had a role in our lives, people that we can see ourselves growing old with, people that we would surround ourselves with, people that we would not mind having our children around, right? That's one of the takeaways for me. 
for us, it was people that we knew that we wanted to forever be a part of. And not meaning that, you know, friends or other family members that couldn't celebrate with us, but those people that didn't get to be a part of the celebration can definitely celebrate us from a distance, which I thought was perfectly okay. <laughs> yeah. And in honor of respecting privacy, I just want to highlight that there was one person that's pretty close to you in your life, but you decided to not invite. And I said, why? Like, we have space. Like, I feel bad. Like, maybe just invite them. And you said, no, because I don't want our future children around them. Right. And that, I told all my friends about that. <laughs> that was like a big husband bragging moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was very proud of that. So going into the wedding, one thing that I learned that I think people might be interested in, or at least I wish I would have known, is that wedding planning isn't sexy or romantic. Would you agree? I 100% agree. It sounds attractive. Everyone wants to, everyone should have a wedding, but no one talks about the details the steps that you have to take, everything behind the scenes. There's a lot that goes on in there. Family stuff. I think what I realized is that it's more logistical than anything. It's not like, oh my God, what kind of first dance song do you want to dance to? Like, that's 1% of it. The rest is like, okay, babe, do we really need to spend $5,000 on flowers? Okay, do you think we have $500 budget here for this kind of chair? Do you, It's like all budgeting and logistics and also remember the amount of times that we walked through the flow and the timeline right that was driving my brain insane i think that's the only part that i didn't enjoy is like piecing together the timeline on that excel spreadsheet now granted we had our planner so it was you know we had a good starting point and everything but still like because our planner doesn't know the layout of the house or like how the family is you know, what they're accustomed to or like where we want to walk and how we want to do it, and like all of those small things. And then that, that timeline we had to share with with everyone who was a part of the wedding, right? The DJs, the MCs, the musician, and then making sure that everyone who's traveled far and long made it and figuring out accommodations for them. Family drama. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Seating people on opposite sides. Oh man, the seating table, yeah, the seating chart, that was pretty tough. Right. Because there's intentions, right? Because we want to create a safe space for people. And you have people that are coming from all backs of life. Walks of life. Walks of life. All backgrounds, all walks of life. Your brain just like combines <laughs> things. And it's hard to place people in certain yeah. tables because you want to make sure that they have things to talk about. Yeah. For each table, we were like, okay, who's the anchor? Who are we like seating around? And then we just started like placing people. We redid that a couple of times too. We had a couple moments where we would get frustrated with each other, or like not want to deal with it. And it's usually at the end of like a long work day. And I have this email from the planner that was sitting for a long time. And I feel the pressure to respond. And you're like, our wedding isn't until three weeks from now. And I'm like, no, but some of this stuff has to get figured out now because other things are contingent upon us figuring this particular detail out. And all of it was like kind of a lot. I'm sure anybody who's had a wedding knows that. So with that being said, how did you feel during? I think to add to it, no one talks about the details. In it. And then halfway through, like halfway through planning, you're like, I just want to throw my hands up in the air and kind of step away because I just had enough of this. But during the wedding was complete opposite. As soon as we started walking down the aisle, everything just made sense. All the grays turned into colorful 
blooming flowers. <laughs> Can we please back up and talk about your Groomzilla moment? <laughs> yeah, the best Groomzilla moment. And it made my heart so happy because I will say, okay, this is honesty hour. And I say this with like so much love and respect and it's not like a jab at you, but it's just the reality of the situation that so many of my female followers will probably relate to. But the logistical legwork of wedding planning, a lot of it fell on me, at least in a way that like, even if I did ask you to do something, like I would remind you. I would first ask you, then I would remind you, and then I would follow up to make sure that it got done. And I was the one in communication with Ellie and speaking to the florist and like maybe monitoring the budget like a little bit more closely. And I think a lot of the like financial, how do we split up our finances? It was like after I did the budget at the end, it was like 60-40. Yeah, it was very close to down the line. It was close to down the line. Yours was a little more. You had 80% of your uh, the guest list. 80% <laughs> of the guest list was your side of the family. And there were some upgrades that you were like, I really, really need this. I will pay for it. Right. Like you got that like table pad. Well worth it. It was well worth it. It was a few hundred dollars that I didn't want to spend, though, but you were totally right about that. It made the tables just feel, like, heavy and luxurious. Right. As opposed to, like, the plastic tables. So all that to say, I think because so many women take on, like, planning and monitoring and delegating and just, like, household management in general, because we're naturally good at it, whether that's by choice or just, like, needing to be, because that's a what's expected. I think going into a wedding, like there's this trope of the bridezilla, which I do not agree with. I think if you've poured so much of yourself into this event for the past year and you have a moment where somebody's being disrespectful or not, you know, meeting a certain standard, I do think there are very mean people, women included, all people. Some people lose their shit and that's not appropriate. But I think the whole trope of the bridezilla and like brides being mean and stressed and unhappy, like not only was I actively trying to avoid that because I wanted to be happy, obviously, but I also just, like, didn't want to, like, feed into that story. So I think when your Groomzilla moment came out, aside from being like, yeah, that's my husband, like, and it being, like, funny and <laughs> something to talk about, I think I just felt, like, very heard and understood. And, like, you took on an emotional labor role without me having to ask or remind or delegate it to you. You just You just said it. Yeah, and just like that, that mantra went straight out of my head. I'm like, what emotions? No, I have emotions, and I want everyone around me to know. <laughs> <laughs> You're <And> like... <laughs> honestly, that whole bridezilla thing, I didn't know. Again, looking at it from the outside, right? You're like, oh my God, they're losing their shit. Yeah. Well, once you go through it, you're like, I can relate. I totally understand where you're coming from, and I applaud you. Right. Again, like you said, some people literally lose their shit and that's not cool because everyone around you is trying to help. So, yeah, that's kind of but sometimes it's rightfully so because you're just very emotionally invested. So your moment was we're taking family photos and we spent so much time working on the shot list of like who needs to be photographed in what order, because we literally hired the photographer for family. I mean, we got some cute photos out of it, too. Yeah, we wanted a shoot list. A shot list. Yeah. Because we were like, you know, we don't want to keep moving grandma around. We want to make sure that we get her with certain people and our, you know, parents and grandparents together. And like, you know, all these family photos that people treasure forever. Right. We knew that that would be happening at our wedding and it might be the last time for some of our family members. So it was really important to us. We worked so hard on the shot list. We did multiple iterations on it. And then halfway through 
just no one was paying attention. No one was <laughs> was showing up when they were called upon. And that just made me angry and frustrated. <laughs> and I kept yelling, stick to the plan. Stick to the list. Where's the list? <laughs> you kept yelling, where's the list? You're like, we wrote our list. We made a list. Follow the list. Follow the list. <laughs> and no one gave a hoot about what I said. <laughs> Everyone just kept casually walking around and the photographer looked at me, I looked at her and I'm like, you know what, F this. Yeah, so they didn't get their family photos. And then a week ago, they had the audacity to be like, why didn't the photographer get a photo of grandma? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? But anyway, that was a funny moment. About three years ago, I started putting together a playlist with uplifting, inspiring, and empowering songs. I originally did this for myself because I love music of all different genres, and every time I would notice a song that just made me feel good, I would add it to my self-love playlist. And now there are over 300 songs on my Spotify self-love playlist, and these tracks are perfect for when you're getting ready, trying to hype yourself up, or going through a struggle and need a reminder for how badass you are. If you love music as much as I do, then go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist to get the Spotify link. It will ask you for your email so that I can send you this self-love playlist. And full transparency, this will also put you on my email list where I send out a monthly newsletter about stuff I'm thinking about, personal things, things I don't really share on social media, and all the happenings in the Mary's Cup of Tea world. So go to maryscupoftea.com slash playlist and let's start jamming to my self-love playlist together. Another funny moment was when my gangster husband <laughs> had another amazing groomzilla moment, although this was one that everybody appreciated. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things, right? You prepare for the worst, but expect the best. So you and I kind of sat down. We, we sat down and we're like, what's the worst thing that can happen? And little did we know there would be two little hiccups. The first hiccup is a landscaper decided to turn on his blower and his yeah three, three of them there were three there of was them a whole squad high, of them in our next door neighbors house. Leaf blowers. granted it's 4 p.m on a thursday who in arizona does landscaping at 4 p.m never heard of never heard of <laughs> i had my cousin alex we pull him to the side and he's <laughs> he's he's the one that speaks spanish in the family so i said alex why don't you go over there and talk to them and see how much longer maybe ask them to leave and come back at a different time so Alex goes off and comes back in two minutes and gives us the news. And the news was like, no, they're going to be here for another hour and a half. And we were not having that. He was like, sorry, there's nothing they can do. I tried. Yeah. Came back, head down and said, there's nothing else I can do. And I'm like, there's no way in hell. 15 minutes later, they're still going stronger than ever. Right. Right. And I said, that's it. I'm done. I'm walking over there. So I walk over there. I talk to the guy. And what do you know? Within two minutes... They start packing their things and they leave. <laughs> and he just comes back without saying a word. And I was like, what'd you do? And he was like, I told them to come back tomorrow. I'm like, what do you mean you told them to come back tomorrow? And you're like, I just told them we're having a wedding and they're going to come back tomorrow. I used to watch Sopranos. So <laughs> that's, Tony Soprano really got to me. <laughs> I mean, you're very kind and respectful at the same time. And I think this took me back to our first ever trip together, where we went to San Diego. 
I think it was our second weekend together. We took the goose. Yes, we, we did. put him in your old pickup truck and we were like, let's just drive to the beach. And when I say this was spontaneous, I mean, this was spontaneous in its very definition. Like we woke up at 9.30 a.m. on Saturday and we were like, let's drive to the beach and got a hotel on Priceline for one night and just went. And as we pull up to the Sheraton, which is the hotel that I booked in in San Diego, <laughs> there's like parking that's blocked off for valet or a certain event or just something. But there was one space and you were like, you know what? We're not going to be here long. We're just going to check in. Let's just like park here. As we're pulling in, the guy comes out, the staff member, and he's like, sir, no, you can't park here. Sorry. No, no, no. Waving his arms and all, right? Waving his arms. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and you turn around. You're backing in the truck. You slowly roll down your window. I remember it like it was yesterday. And you just smiled and waved as you began backing into this empty parking spot. And the guy literally had a moment and he was like, Okay, and then he proceeded to help us back into <laughs> yeah, the did. parking spot. <laughs> a wave and a smile goes a long way. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like no words were exchanged. Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? <laughs> That's exactly how I felt about the landscaper situation. That's the thing. You're not rude. You're just kind of like, you just have a presence that you're not causing any harm. You're just like establishing certain boundaries and you're like, this is the way things are going to go. Now, granted, they could have said no to you also, but they didn't. Yeah, I think he was kind of expecting a guy to roll down the window and give him, I don't know, a piece of their mind. But, you know, like I said, um, a wave and a smile goes a long way. And like you said, he helped us back into it <laughs> and gave me direct- a thumbs up and we kept it going. <laughs> just started directing us. I thought he was going <laughs> to open the door for me. I thought this was going to turn into a full service thing. But I was very grateful for that parking spot. And I loved that trip with our goose. So it was just divine that it happened in a very similar way right before we walked down the aisle. Now, tell me how you felt standing under the huppa and right after you smashed the glass. You know, I think one of the questions is, when did I feel like we were married? And we've been together pretty much every single day for the past four years. And I'd say probably a few months into our relationship, I'm like, that's it. We're living together. This is the one. And I am I'm taken. I am married, (laughs) full-blown. There's no other options that I would even remotely think of seeking. But standing under the chuppah, backtrack a little bit, walking down that aisle together, we didn't have our parents or loved ones walk us. We decided that we would walk together. And thank you for that, by the way. Yeah. And looking over as everyone is sitting there, smiling, some tears and in the backyard, and I'm not going to say in the room, but <laughs> right, that's kind of when it started building up for me to to know that this is the real thing that is happening, because we again invited everyone that meant something to us throughout our lives, and just having all those people together to support our love meant the world to me. And that's when I knew that this is this is actually happening. Holy shit! Like, there's no backing <laughs> out now, right? Walking <laughs> down the aisle, and then the the hoopa was just wonderful. I loved every single part of it, especially when we just brought our foreheads together. That was my favorite that part, was, too. That was magical, yeah. Did you know he was going to have us do that? No. Me neither. No. Do you remember the circles? 
by the time we figured out how many circles we're supposed to go. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to be trusting this process. <laughs> He's whispering, three circles. Now you three circles and you half and you half for a total of seven. <laughs> there are lots of performative aspects to the ceremony, especially when somebody's like whispering to you what to do. And you know, the camera's standing right there. And then you want to look here to get a good shot with the photographer. And you want to also smile at your family. And like, there's just a lot for other people. But when we went forehead to forehead, that felt like the moment for us. Absolutely. I felt like a DNA strain, just like intertwined together. Like we're just one. Yeah. That was my, my absolute favorite. I texted the only text I sent. One of my good girlfriends is I have so much to tell you, but here was my favorite moment. And then I just sent a photo of us standing forehead to forehead. That's beautiful. Yeah. And the sun was like coming in and out throughout our ceremony. The whole thing was just beautiful. There were some family members that just like didn't know what was going on and they just like walked under the altar and like started like waving at people and telling people to sit down. I know. I wish we had would have had security just kind of shoo people away. Come on, take your seats. <laughs> but we knew that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's always maybe one or two, you know, just kind of feel like they are free to roam around. Yeah. Plus these people go to weddings like every other week. So every other day. Yeah. Yeah. The wedding industry is massive. That's a side note. Mm-hmm. Especially for Jewish people, especially for... Especially the ones in New York City. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think we concluded on like, how did... Did I ask you this? How did our friends feel not being invited since we did decide family only? One thing that we got lucky with is so much of our family, your cousins, are our closest friends. So we didn't really feel like we had no friends, you know? It wasn't just like elderly people that grandma's friends with. It's they were our friends because your cousin group is just so wonderful. And then your cousin's partners. And like, I got two friends because <laughs> you had such a big <laughs> guest list. So you're welcome. <laughs> I feel like I cheated a little bit, but also very grateful. So I got, no, I got three friends. And I'm wondering because you have a very close group of childhood friends that you grew up with, whose weddings you've been at, we've been at. Did you feel bad not inviting them? Did they say anything? Were people upset? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I have a pretty large group of childhood friends that are all in New York. It was a difficult decision to make, but what made it easy is that when you invite one, you have to invite them all. And I'd probably say I have 15 to 20 close friends. Out of those, maybe 10 are really close friends. So to have 10 people and their significant other that's 20 people. Yeah. And they're I, all in their 30s, married with kids. So mm -hmm. it's a lot to ask for them. That's why, in my mind, it makes sense that they send love from a distance and they'll be able to be a part of it through pictures, through videos. And I'm sure that they all wish us lots of love. They've expressed it. Yeah. They've shared it. So I'm really comfortable with where we left things off. Yeah. It's also, again, it's like these group of people in New York that go to weddings every week and they might have been like relieved not right. to have to travel right, yeah. and bring their families and everything. And also, I guess it depends how you define close friends. Like you've been friends for a while. You grew up with them. You're really close for like a solid two decades of your life. But in recent years, it's not people you talk to on right. a daily, weekly basis. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And 
our close circle are my cousins mm -hmm. and their partners. They're the ones that we see on a daily, weekly basis. They're the ones that we see at the family events. So yeah. although the childhood friends mean the world to me, at the same time, the closest people, again, were at our wedding. Yeah, I agree. I think the size was perfect. What do you think? I do too. What did we have, 64 people? 64. We were honing in on that in 55, Mark. Well, we knew we were like, if we aim for 55 and then give your dad a couple cousins, give your mom a couple people, we knew we would be about like at the 60, 65 mark. I'm very grateful that your parents, you know, they definitely brought a couple of their family members that might not have been our first choice, but I'm very grateful that they invited who they did. And it was like just the perfect amount to make them feel like it's a family celebration, like we said, because that's important to us without it turning into somebody else's party. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point. At the end of the day, we want to accommodate, especially to our parents. My parents did extend invitations to their close cousins, cousins and aunts, and every single one of them really enjoyed the wedding and they got down on the dance floor, right? So they just added heads to the dance floor, which made things that much more <laughs> exciting and more fun. We had about, would you say 70, 80% of music that was either in Russian or Baharian, right? There wasn't that much American music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was all these like old school jams that we grew up on, that our parents and grandparents grew up on, Right. got everybody out, which was awesome. It felt like the perfect amount of like ethnic. Yeah, it was great. I mean, most of the music that was played was more timeless. Just like you said, everyone can get on the dance floor. And we even had a uh, special song for your friends. For our Polish for friends. For our friends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did give a do not playlist to the DJ, but it wasn't really needed because, you know, they don't play a lot of American things. <laughs> <laughs> I think his comment was, this is not a 13-year-old's bar mitzvah, so we'll keep Bruno <laughs> Mars out of the picture. <laughs> that was his exact comment. And I'm like, you get me, sir. You get me. Also, some... Well, I think this is about the point where people might be getting confused on our cultural fusion. Okay. I think I'm... I have it pretty clear in my head, so just to like catch people up. You are Jewish. I am Jewish. I am Ashkenazi Jewish, which is like European. This is really bad, but like Holocaust Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> and my family is from the former Soviet Union, particularly Moscow, which is what gives it that like European Russian edge. So we're technically Soviet Jews from originating from Ukraine, Bulgaria, and then later in Moscow. And that's where like my parents came from. And then you are also from the former Soviet Union, but a different country now, which is Uzbekistan. Correct. And that makes your culture a little bit more, can I say Persian? Yeah, I would say more Sephardic. Jews, whereas you're more Ashkenazi. So our roots are more based off of, of Persian descent. The Baharian Jew community left Iran or Persia and immigrated to Uzbekistan, which was once called Buhara. Now it's Uzbekistan. And I'm from a small little city. Town. Town called Firgana. Mm -hmm. And we immigrated to the U.S. in 1991. And there's only about a thousand Jews left back in Fergana. Everybody else is in New York, California, Arizona, 
good old diaspora things, which makes our Jewishness very confusing. But just so people understand, like, what our wedding looked and felt like, it was, like, Russian, because we all speak Russian, because it was the former Soviet Union, but it also had this, like, Middle Eastern flair because of the, like, origins of your Jewishness. So it was, like, drumming and, like, a lot of... Do you remember that Hands up, hands up. My mom teaching you, Mariana, this is how it's done. Put your hands up and twist. I hope you know that when I was searching for a dress, I would practice that dance move because there was no way I was going to wear a dress constricting my hands being up to wave and flick my wrists side to side. The next morning, Mary's arms, Mary's shoulders are like on fire. She's like, I don't know why my shoulders hurt. I come to yoga like four days later and I was like, yeah, guys, telling all my yoga girls, I'm like, you know, one thing they don't tell you about weddings is how sore you're going to be after. And they all look at me. They're like, Um, and they're just confused. And I'm like, like from all the dancing. And they're like, oh, my God, girl, that is not where our heads went. (laughs) That's great. That's hilarious. But literally, my shoulder caps were on fire. Okay, another question for you before we get to budget and prenup. Well, I think we covered some of the budget, but I do want to talk about, like, what was most expensive, how we split things up we covered. But before we get there, do you have any, like, advice for backyard weddings, people that are considering, like, a lower-key wedding? From my perspective, it's whatever you feel is important. For us, it's food, right? Food is a big thing for us, and we had quite a bit of it. The decor, the lights above head, I don't remember exactly what they're called. Bistro lights. Bistro lights. Because mm-hmm, I, I asked our planner earlier. that is a on. must. Yeah. Yeah, the flowers, you can keep at a bare minimum, just accessorize the tables with them. But those bistro lights make a world of a difference. It just feels so lush and luxurious, right? Yeah, feels like a restaurant. Good food and good company. I think alcohol plays a role in that. If you don't drink, it's perfectly fine. Food can make up for that. (laughs) I think one thing about that book I mentioned earlier, The Art of Gathering, okay? So she talks about dinner parties specifically. And you know how a lot of dinner parties these days are just like buffets? Even like when my mom has us over for dinner, she'll just like set the food out on the counter and we just like grab and I get it. Like it's convenient. It's great. But she says like one very simple way to make your event more connecting is to do family style dinner because when you have food on the table, guess what people have to do? Hey, can you pass the pass salad? Pass me this and pass me that. Hey, can you give me a little bit of that too? And it gets people just like talking and we had food and alcohol on the table. So people were pouring each other drinks. They were eating together. They were, you know, dancing. They were, it just felt more connecting as opposed to, I'm going to take my sad, lonely, empty plate over to across the patio. Yeah, And then you have to wait in line. For me, I was never a fan of that. So if it was up to me, if we had to do it all over again, I'd probably cut more of the decor and just really focus on the food. I think the food is what makes a wedding spectacular. Oh People gosh, are how coming. How much more food could we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, comparing it to the traditional, typical wedding that you oh. hear and see. Like if somebody's starting from plan B, like don't worry so much about the decor, worry about like, think about the experience. Think about the experience, right? So the, the, the money can be kind of shifted yeah. a little more towards the food. And alcohol as opposed to floral decorations. I agree. I cut florals last minute because we had originally, we had like six bud vases, which is those small vases on every table. And I was like, that's too much with the food. We can do three. So I literally halved the table florals. I made my bouquet a little bit lighter, which I'm so glad I did because it's something you kind of just hold, but it doesn't matter if you're holding one rose in your hand or a giant bouquet. It still looks beautiful. 
I cut the flowers. We kept candles. Candles were candles part of were that. Candles were a big hit. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. lighting Gorgeous. experience. Again, for an outdoor evening wedding, the more light, but not an excessive amount where you have spotlights, mm-hmm. right? Certain candles, that really makes a difference. Yeah, it does. And I'm really grateful that our planner was the one who was like, focus on the lighting. Don't worry as much about florals. We ended up spending, I would say, like, including the flowers on our huppa, which this might sound like a lot if you haven't planned a wedding, but if you have planned a wedding, this is just a fraction of what people spend on flowers, including the flowers on our altar, all the flowers on the table, the flowers on welcome tables, my bouquet, everything. I think we spent maybe four forty five hundred on florals because our, our huppa package included the structure. So without the structure, it was only like $500 of flowers on the altar, and then a couple thousand yeah, for the rest. And right? I, I agree with you. If we were to do it all over again and we had a little less of a budget to work with, floral would be probably the first thing that I cut. Yeah, yeah. We're lucky that catering provided tables and cutlery. We did splurge on chairs. We did. And I'm very glad we splurged on chair. I think we paid like $10 a chair, $11 yeah, a chair. Yeah, it was around the $10 mark. And the low end is like five or six. Yeah. And that's like a just a plastic foldable chair. And I really wanted like those cross back wooden chairs. Because again, in the photos, they look fantastic. We also splurged on the tables. We got wider tables. Oh, yeah. Because we were doing family style. Because we were doing family style. Right. And we but, didn't want it to look cluttered. Yeah. And we had a lot of food. We could have probably cut two meat dishes but again we're it came with a package our catering team worked is that they have a per person package and we just wanted to make sure that everyone was well fed yeah and there was leftovers that everyone took home as well running around (laughs) boxing food up for people which is what made it so just like homey it felt like any other sabbath dinner too and like me and your mom were doing dishes at the end of the night i was like literally in my dress washing dishes (laughs) and i love that it just felt super calm and wonderful how did we split things up in terms of budget? Because we said like 60-40. I had a Notion spreadsheet. I'm actually going to link this for people in the podcast description because I made this Notion template, which is the, <laughs> you've heard too much about Notion at this point. <laughs> She's all about Notion, y'all. All about it. Like obsessively. <laughs> I'm in no way, shape, or form. <laughs> I am literally just made a Notion board for our honeymoon and I'm so geeky excited about it. I'm envious, honestly. I wish I had that attention span. (laughs) (laughs) I just love to tinker and like plan. But see, this is why I don't do errands because it takes time away from my digital tinkering. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) You're like, I have no time to tinker. (laughs) Um, So I made a notion board and it was, oh, there was a budget spreadsheet and I just made an itemized list of every single thing. And then I had a column that said, who's paying for it? And then you could filter to see like how much you covered, how much I covered, because One thing about us is that our finances have still been separate. We haven't even gotten around to opening a joint account yet. Right. And we've always just kind of like been like, okay, you cover this dinner, I'll cover the next dinner. And just like not being super formal, calculating about it. Yeah. I don't see the rush, honestly, in merging accounts. I think there should be a his, hers, and ours. Just like cars. my parents do it. Yeah. (laughs) His, hers, and ours. (laughs) (laughs) That's how my parents do it. They each like have their separate and then every month they contribute to the joint account. There you go. One method that I like in contributing to the joint account, which I think 
we would probably use is instead of saying like, okay, each person put $1,000 into the joint account. I think that's a little weird because like people have different jobs, different incomes. And one method I've heard is like, okay, plop in 30% of your income into the joint account. Okay. That makes sense. So at some points, like 30% of mine might be lower, higher, whatever, and vice versa. I would agree with that. I think just like you, you said very well put that people have different careers, different jobs, different incomes. So sometimes it's a little unfair to expect a higher deposit than one can. Yeah. Cause the other person's usually doing like more of the household labor and like child bearing, child rearing <laughs> kind of stuff, which brings me to our prenup conversation, which I think a lot of people are listening for. Yeah. That's a conversation that we've had for a couple of years. Do you remember the first time you brought it up? We were naked swimming in our pool and you were like, so what do you think about a prenup? <laughs> and you were not having it. I wasn't <laughs> I'm having just kidding. it. What are you talking about? I was totally You were on it. board from the beginning and that kind of turned the gears in my head because the typical response is pushback from what I've seen with people that I know. One person presents the idea, the other person pushes back. There's no need for it. But I think as as I've evolved and met different people in my life, things just tend to make sense. Well, one thing about prenups is that everybody who gets married has one by default. You either have the one that the state has preset for you when you sign those papers, or you make your own, i.e. you modify what the state has already outlined for you. So when you make a prenup, all that's doing is giving you the power to outline your expectations, not just in case of a divorce, because that's like worst case scenario. That's obviously what a lot of people think about in terms of a prenup, but it also helps you outline expectations in the marriage. So for example, what if I want to go back to school? Who's paying for things, right? Like if I'm on a student, I'm taking out student loans. Are those your student loans now? Like that's a lot of money. That's a lot to consider. If I'm not making income, are you taking everything on? If somebody wants to start a new business, what if we have kids and I'm sacrificing not only my body and motherhood for a year during maternity leave, but what about that gap in my resume that might set me back? Like how does that compensation work? Not just in financial terms, but like an energetic exchange. So one thing that like a paralegal told me, she said, any house the family occupies for two years is automatically yours, like both of yours. Did you know that? I did not know. Mm -hmm. So like any house that the family has lived in for two years, especially if you have kids. So she says like the state is very practical. If they're like, you don't have a prenup, but you've lived in this house with your kids for 15 years, and your partner wants to take all of that from you, like, I'm sorry, no, that's like your house too. That's where your children were raised too. So you can either leave it up for like the courts later on to potentially decide if the worst case scenario happens, or you can say from the get-go, like, okay, well, what is that timeline for you? Do I have to be living here for five years, for example? Or, you know, it's like up to you to like kind of modify and outline all of that, which I thought was very interesting because there's like certain things already set up for you. And a lot of people take them without even considering if that's what works for them and their lifestyle, their future goals, their family planning. 
like children bringing children into the picture? What about like parents getting older? Like the prenup opens up a lot of conversations. Yeah, that's a really good point. And these conversations are important to have. I think a lot of people just rush into marriage just because of the idea or because of social pressure. One of the things that early on in our relationship during our first trip, I think it was, I bought a book of 101 questions to ask before you get engaged. And we went through them and we answered a lot of the questions. And it's at the time we were very much in alignment and we still are, mm -hmm. we're just even more so. I think through that conversation of a prenup, it gave us an opportunity to take a generic prenup, look it over and figure out what works for us and what we wanna add to it. Right. And through that conversation, what we realize is that we want the best for each other today, tomorrow, and the next day. We want to support each other. And if worse come to worse, if there was a divorce, we want to make sure that we're both taken care of in a sense. Right. So that was a very healthy approach mm -hmm. and a very healthy conversation that we had because it gave me an insight into your perspective on things and also gave you an insight to my perspective on things. So after that, it allow us to move forward. And should I say that we do not have a prenup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we can confess to that. Yeah. So since you said it, explain why. I think through the conversations that we've had and through the years of spending every single day together, I'm perfectly comfortable with not having a prenup. I'm perfectly comfortable with having you in my life. I see the way that you interact with my family, my parents, my siblings, my cousins, and so forth. And I could never picture... Um, Us being irrational in a worst case scenario. Thank you, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So that gave me the confidence to move forward and to completely void any potential prenup that we might have considered in the past. Granted, this is also because we got quoted upwards of $7,000 to make a prenup, which with our wedding expenses was very difficult. I have friends who are literally doing a postnup six months after their wedding because, you know, your financial circumstances change. Like, even my parents were talking about a postnup because of certain, like, buying, selling property kind of thing. I think that's, like, something very common that a lot of people who don't deal with wealth don't know is an option available to them. So that's part of the reason why I'm not super worried about it either. But I think I want to say one more thing about this. So for me, our prenup conversations have been one of the sexiest things about our marriage before even getting married. And I think it's because it was always like so safe, so reasonable, so like open and your parents have been together a while, but I've been through like three-ish divorces, many marriages, vicariously through my parents. So I've seen the worst. I've seen people taking a turn. I've seen people just sucking my mother dry. I've seen people stealing and cheating and all, every, all of the above and more. And it really does scare me to think like, okay, right now we might be on the same page, but like something bad happens decades from now. And suddenly like people's characters just change. And like that scares the shit out of me. So I think that even us considering a prenup was enough for me <laughs> because the biggest misconception is that like 
Men want a prenup to protect all their assets and make sure their wife doesn't get any. And then women hate prenups because it's going to make her not get any, (laughs) you know? And I think that our conversations have just, like, proved all of those wrong. Our individual assets are pretty, like, well-protected enough that, again, like, the things the state has set in place for us by default kind of just work for us, right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people relate prenups to divorce. It's like an expectation. So if we're talking about prenups, then there's a possibility that we might get divorced. And then where does that leave us? Where does that leave me? I don't want to be, you know, on the side of the road with nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to have everything. So that's, again, a really toxic position to be in. It also helps that neither of us have nothing. We both have like very independent foundations. Yeah, so our our situation is a little bit different, but you're the one that allowed me the safe space to have that conversation. Oh, well, I'm really glad that we did. I think for our listeners, I'm going to link that book that you recommended. What was it? 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. It's a must. You love telling people about this book. The truth is we've only opened it maybe four times. (laughs) First and second page. (laughs) That's a lie. No, it's a lie. (laughs) Even just the couple questions that came up there was like, how would you discipline your children? Are you open to prenups? How do you cope when you are stressed out? Do you prefer to talk or do you prefer to be left alone? Right. Even just like those three or four questions that we did hammer out. I'm going to add to that and say that if any of you listeners are looking into getting married at any point in your life, Google things to consider in a prenup. And there's a bunch of blog posts and articles that will give you a list of like 12 things, talking points to just hash out. And even if you just start there, you don't have to pay the $7,000, $10,000 for lawyers to make the prenup right now. Maybe if you do have assets that you want to protect or certain things, like definitely, definitely do that. Women, men alike, everybody. But Just start by talking through those things that would go on a prenup. Yeah. And if you want to dive deep into your relationship, these questions are great questions to bring up. Whether it's a night watching TV or just a glass of wine. Date night. Date night. Yeah, Yeah. these are really great, healthy questions to ask. I saw us connect during these questions, right? Because... We're watching. We're watching your body language. <laughs> I know. We had moments where we were agitated. We're like, and I'm like, really? What do you have? Is this how you feel? Really? <laughs> no, I mean, it's not comfortable. It's not like the number one date night choice. Absolutely not. But it does help you, hopefully, if you're with the person that's good for you, it helps you walk away being like, okay, like, That wasn't so bad. Like, I had tense moments, but, like, I'm really glad that we talked about, like, what happens when we have kids? Am I the one taking time off? Are you the one taking time off? What about the business? What about our existing debts? Okay, do we have property? What about alimony? Or what do we see as the family house? And what do we see as individual? And are we merging bank accounts? Like, that's just off the top of my head, but there are so many other things. I'm exhausted already, just the top of your head. (laughs) It's it's a lot, but it's important. It definitely is. And like I said, it brings us together. I think that our foundation is more secure than it's ever been. And these are the stepping stones to creating a healthy, solid foundation. One last question for you before we wrap up. How do you feel now that you are married? Like, 
Did anything change? I think what changed the most is that we get to yell, wife, husband, <laughs> at any time of the day at our house or while we're at Costco down the aisles. Wife, where are you? <laughs> we wake up in the morning. That's the first thing I say. I also lost you in the gym the other day and I came up. I didn't have my phone, so I came up to the front desk people and I'm like, excuse me, can I please call my husband? <laughs> and that was so satisfying. I think there's also an amount of security that I have in the relationship that allowed me to kind of walk outside and I'm not alone anymore, right? The relationship that we've had before we got married was very secure. But there was instances where, you know, we would get into an argument and then I would have to wonder, is this something that is going to break us? But I think in a marriage, and especially over the years that we've been through a lot, it allowed us to build a more secure relationship. And I think the marriage really helped tie all that into perspective. I told Leslie Ann that it almost, and I don't think it's the solution, so please don't quote me on this or take this to heart, but I think being married has eased some of my anxiety, not just about like, oh my God, what happens if we break up? But like, I think there was a moment where we got some, you know, money gifted from our family. And then we were talking about like which accounts to put it in. And I had a moment where I was like a little bit tense. I'm like, mm, like this, going back to all my old stories of like, just how shady my dad was with money and how my mom had to scramble and like all this. And then I was like, no, wait, we're married now. Like it's all our money. Like it's okay. And I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> let's put it into our account. Like let's whatever. spend it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We are doing a splurgy honeymoon which I'm stoked about. But yeah, that's like a moment I had. And my other friend Zoe also said it very well. She said, nothing changed, but everything changed. And I really liked that because that's exactly how I feel about marriage. Absolutely. Shout out to Zoe. <laughs> we love you, Zoe. We loved your <laughs> wedding too. That was like a fun carnival in Malibu. <laughs> yeah, she's the inspiration behind bringing people together that meant something, yeah. right? The people that have watched you grow and allowed you to grow has been a part of the ride. So I took a lot away from that wedding. Oh, yeah. She's she's a gem. She's very intentional in everything she does and the people she allows into her space. And I'm very grateful that we're two of them. <laughs> so anyway, babe, I love you so much. I, I love you too. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Cheers to us getting married. Cheers. Fingertip <laughs> swag. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing before we farewell, my self-lovers. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. You can do this by searching for the show Mary's Cup of Tea. Scroll all the way down on Apple Podcasts and you'll see stars where you can click one of the stars and leave a few kind words. It just means so much to me because I'm so behind the scenes when I'm podcasting, so I don't really get to see the impact of the show unless you leave a review. And on Spotify, there's just a button that says rate the show and it'll let you put however many stars you want. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Thank you so much for supporting the show and helping me spread the gift of self-love. I love you all so much, and I will talk to you in next week's episode.